Thank you, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? I got to share this. Tina, it's good to see you. Do you care if I share this? I didn't ask her before, so. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Tina uh, had her gallbladder uh, removed. She was uh, emergency surgery, pretty much, right? And I was uh, sitting behind my desk, and I had received an email from your small group leader, Jonathan Stanger. And uh, it said, uh, just to let everybody know that uh, Tina contacted us. She's in uh, Johnson Willis, and she's having surgery. And I can remember exactly what I did right after that. Remember that, Neil? I got up from my desk. I started doing jumping jacks. Uh, I went through the office screaming, and I was like, man, I can't believe it. Neil, this is awesome. I said, this is exactly what small groups are supposed to do. And it was awesome that you shared that with, I, oh, no, I, saw, I, saw, I saw you over here, with Jonathan. And then he shared that with us, and that's exactly the purpose of small groups. And I, and I just want to encourage you guys, if you're not involved in a small group, if you're not uh, participating in that, uh, we, we, we can get you plugged in, we can get you connected, because that's, that's where uh, life happens, that's where community happens. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a small group, if you're not connected, then do that. Man, I appreciate that, that's awesome. So I just wanted to give God praise, everything's great. And, uh, and I'll tell you, man, she speaks highly of her small group. You guys are knocking it out of the park. Thank you guys for leading that. And, and thank you for all my small group leaders that are in here. Uh, we appreciate you guys and, and everything that you do. And so I just want to encourage you for that. Um, I do want to say something here uh, before we get started. Uh, that had nothing to do with my sermon. Uh, but the last month, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, so, so please don't misunderstand me when I say this. But over the last uh, month and a half, um, I have really felt like... Uh, I really felt God's presence here on Sunday morning. I've really felt God kind of moving in this place. And I, and I began to think, you know, why is that? Um, and it could be for various reasons, but I think it comes down to, to one for me specifically, and that is um, I don't know that I was necessarily preparing myself for worship. You know what I mean? Uh, a, a month and a half ago, man, God was smacking me in the face. Uh, I was uh, reading his word, and the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And I was thinking, you know what, maybe I'm not preparing myself to be in God's presence on Sunday morning. And maybe I'm not preparing myself to be with this community, uh, exalting God and lifting, and lifting Christ up and, uh, and giving him. Maybe I'm not preparing myself for that. And so I had to kind of just uh, reevaluate my own self and reevaluate what I was doing uh, the, the week before and, and the Saturday night before and the Sunday morning of and and I was thinking, you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm not uh, preparing myself. And so I don't know. Thank you for the scripture reading this morning. That was perfect. Because I think sometimes we can come here on Sunday morning and just kind of go through the motions. You know what I mean? And, uh, man, we just we pray that God's presence would be here and that his spirit would just be overwhelming. And that, uh, that we would just exalt Christ in everything we do. All right? If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to uh, the book of Ephesians. Hope you had the opportunity to read that uh, this past week. If you didn't, that's all right. There'll be plenty of other opportunities to read Ephesians. Ephesians is in your New Testament. It's, uh, I got messed up on this last week, so I was practicing this week. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Romans. Did I miss Romans? I don't know the books in my Bible. Romans. All right, Ephesians, it's in there, it's a little, it's a little book, it's about six chapters long, and uh, so if you guys have that. Now what I do with uh, my uh, students, uh, middle school and high school students, is whenever I have them read scripture, I usually have them come up front, stand up on a chair, so that they can kind of, you know, say it loud, and, uh, and so they, they do that. Now I'm not going to have you guys stand on a chair this morning, but I am going to have you guys stand up with me, and uh, I, I made the words a little bit bigger this week so you could see that. And uh, I want us to read this passage together. All right? All right. Everybody see that? Everybody good? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says this. We will speak the truth in love. All right, one more time, and I want you to say it with some, mm. all right? I'm, I'm just going to say one, two, three, go, and you got to start it off, and I want you to just, bam, okay? Ephesians 4.15, one, two, three. We will speak the truth in love. 
Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Thank you for participating with me. I want to ask you this morning, how would you define the word church? Well, when you think of the word church, what comes to mind? Uh, what emotions does that evoke for you? Uh, for some of you, it, it may, uh, you may think of church and you may think of stained glass windows. You may think of steeples. You may think of a building like what we're in right now. I know growing up, we used to uh, uh, have churches uh, that I would visit, and uh, we had Bible Bowl. I don't know if you guys know what Bible Bowl is or not, but we would go to Bible Bowl, and uh, the churches, they had their classrooms in these old, uh, musty, wet, damp basements. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in one of those? I don't know. Sometimes when you think of church, maybe that comes to mind. You think of these old, like, wet, damp, musty uh, basements, you know. And so I think about that with uh, crazy-looking curtains on the, on the windows, you know. But uh, I don't know if that's maybe, maybe for you, that's what you think of when you, uh, when you think of church. Maybe you think of pews, man. Growing up, we had wooden pews in our church still. We still have wooden pews. If you go back to my home church, so you guys be thankful that you have nice, cushioned seats to sit in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I kid you not, man. There'd be people that bring their, uh, their stadium seats, their cushioned seats that they would take to a ball game to church with them. Uh, and it was, it was, they would sit right there. But you needed it because they were wooden pews and they hurt, your, they hurt your, uh, their bottom or your back. And so, so be thankful for that. Uh, some, some of us may think of, of pulpits. Now, some of you are thinking, what's a pulpit? All right, a pulpit. That's, even a, that's a funny word, isn't it? Pulpit. Is that how you say it? <laughs> pulpit. Um, some of you are thinking, isn't that what's in my orange juice when I drink it? That's, that's pulp. That's pulp. That's not pulpit. Pulpit is, uh, is this uh, a big wooden thing that's set up on stage. You see that the minister would stand behind and preach. And, and so growing up in my church, we had this wooden pulpit. Uh, and I think they've gotten rid of it by now. Uh, I, the last, last time I was there, it was gone. And, uh, but it was stood up there on, uh, up on the stage, uh, the platform where the minister would preach. And so, so maybe some of you, when you think of church, that it kind of evokes emotions like that or memories like that. Uh, for some of you, uh, you may think of a guy sitting up on stage wearing a suit and tie, holding a Bible in his hand and shouting and screaming. Uh, we had this guy growing up. His name was uh, Marshall and Richard. You guys may know this. Guy. His name was Ray Bennett. Does that sound familiar to you? Ray Bennett? You guys know Ray Bennett? Ray Bennett would come, you guys know Ray Bennett, yes. Uh, Ray Bennett would come to our church and lead revival, and Ray Bennett was a good speaker. I always enjoyed Ray Bennett. But Ray Bennett, man, had one style, and it was loud. It was loud. I mean, he was he not loud? You guys have heard him. I mean, he, he would preach the word, man. He would just get loud. And I, I remember this one particular night, he, would, he was uh, speaking at a revival at our church, and he got so into it, he got so loud, he took his fist and he hit the pulpit and cracked the top of the wooden pulpit. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You always knew when Ray Bennett was speaking, man, because everybody sat in the back, you know? Uh, you didn't need hearing devices, man, when Ray Bennett was speaking. Uh, I had a professor in Bible college, uh, another great speaker, man, just a great preacher. He was my homeless professor. And his style was the same thing, man. He was, I mean, these are mountains of Bluefield, West Virginia. And so he was just good old-fashioned preaching, uh, hollering, screaming. Uh, but I kid you not, man, every time he preached, he would get so red-faced, man, because he was screaming. And I remember, I remember looking over at my friends. I was like, man, this dude's going to pass out. We're going to have to like, do some CPR on this dude. And, uh, you know, and I was, I, I, but that's the way it was. That's the way it was, you know. I don't know what you think of when you uh, think of the word church, um, but for some people, believe it or not, the word church has become a dirty word. They've seen, uh, they've been turned off because of a bad experience. I've heard stories of people being excluded for uh, what they wore to church. You know, the church has looked down on them. Or I've heard of people saying that they felt like an outcast because they had been divorced before. And you hear all these stories, and it's just like mind-boggling. Like, no wonder that the church is a dirty word for some people. And to be honest with you, I have found that uh, for many people that I talk with, I was talking with my neighbor uh, about a month ago, and uh, I sat there in her, her, her uh, kitchen, and I was just asking her her background, uh, you know, where, where she came from, uh, as far as her church background. And, and I find that most of the people that I talk to grew up in church, they went to church uh, at some time in their life, 
But what happened is, is they either have fallen out of church, uh, like going to church, or, or, they've, or they had a bad experience with church. And so I find that for me, man, rather than introducing somebody brand new to Jesus, I have to reintroduce people to the Jesus of the gospel. You know what I mean? Because they've been scarred, because they've been hurt. And I find that more times than not. And my question is, is that what God had in mind? Is that the idea of what church is supposed to be? There's an interesting uh, conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. If you want to write that down, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. And Jesus is having this conversation with his, his disciples, and he asks this question. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, by, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession that Christ is Lord, I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, the English word that Jesus uses here for church, if you translate that in the Greek, I'm going to teach you guys a little Greek here. This is the only Greek I know, okay? But this is what Jesus said. In the Greek, it's the word ekklesia. Can you say that with me? Ekklesia. Ekklesia. This Greek word is formed from two Greek words, meaning an assembly or to call out or and to call out. Jesus' words to his disciples seem to indicate that they would be a part of some sort of community. Now, fast forward a couple of years, or however long that was, to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of three annual festivals that Jews were required to keep, and, and so think of Pentecost as our modern-day Thanksgiving. Okay? Uh, it was a time for the Jews to come together and to give God thanks and praise for providing crops for them. And they were, they were told to bring their first fruits, their offering to God. And so Acts chapter 2, it was the day of Pentecost. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He's told the, the apostles, the disciples, to wait for his instruction. And so it was the day of Pentecost. And Peter preaches the first gospel message right there in Acts chapter 2. It's a beautiful message. He preaches that this Jesus Christ came from heaven. That he lived on this earth for three and a half years. Oh no, sorry. sorry. He lived on this earth for 33 years. His ministry was three and a half years. He was young wedding. Uh, but he lived on this earth and then that he was crucified. And he looks into the crowd and he says, you are the ones who crucified Christ. You're the ones who put this, this Jesus to death. And this Jesus came to die for your sins. And he came to die for your sins. So essentially, we were a part of that crowd that day that put Jesus to death. And so Peter preaches this first gospel message. And as a result of that message, man, it says the people heard it and it says the Spirit just, I mean, people were cut to the heart. And they were like, I can't believe we did this. I can't believe we put Jesus Christ to death. I can't believe he died for our sins. And it says they were cut to the heart, and they asked the question, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message, this gospel message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to their number. Who added them? Peter added them? The other apostles added them? Who added them to the church? God did. God added them. This is the day that the church, or the new community, was born. And from that day forward, those being saved 
from that day forward and today and from now on until Jesus comes back, those that are being saved, those accepting Christ's sacrifice on their behalf, are always saved in the context of community. Let me explain that. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're a part of a large family. Every person who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ is added to Christ's church. Now let's wrap our minds around this concept for a moment. When you give your life to Christ, you automatically become a part of Christ's community globally. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. That means that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. That means that uh, we are one big family. Over every single continent, over every part of the world, we are all a part of Christ's church. We have brothers and sisters that are meeting in underground secret church on the continent of Africa. We have brothers and sisters meeting uh, in Europe. We have brothers and sisters that are meeting in Haiti and South America and all these places. That's why I love it when I take teenagers to, to conferences, man. When, we take, when I take a group of middle schoolers to, to see how I believe in Atlanta in a few months, man, there's going to be kids from all over the United States to come to Atlanta and worship God that weekend. And you know what's cool about that? Is that we're all a part of Christ church. Come from different places, but we're all a part of Christ church. But not only are we part of the church globally, but we are also to be a part of the church locally right here in Chester, Virginia. Throughout the Bible, we see pictures of both the global church and the local church. Out of 114 times that the word church is mentioned in the New Testament, at least 90 of them refer to specific local gatherings of believers who have come together for fellowship and purpose and mission. See, God created us to live in community. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know how many one another passages there are in the Bible? Does anybody know that? I, I Googled it this week, man, and it was too many. I, didn't, I just didn't count them. I said, it's too many. It's too many. I mean, you have love one another. You have encourage one another. You have pray for one another. I mean, you can't do one another by yourself, can you, Paul? You can't do it. You can't do one another by yourself. But here's the disconnect for a lot of people. Why do I need to be a part of a community? Why, why can't I just sit at home and watch Joe Olstein on TV? Right? Why can't I just do that? And see, the, the truth is we live in a very individualistic society. Our culture gravitates towards isolation. And it's the complete opposite of how God created us. God created us for community. God himself lives in community with the Godheads, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son. They live together in community as one. See, we're not living the way God designed us when we are not involved in community. And so what does this new community look like? And what is the role of each individual of this new community? Well, last week we learned that the Apostle Paul wrote 31% of the New Testament. And in three different places throughout the New Testament, uh, you can write these down. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, he not only gives a description of what this new community looks like, but he also shares what this new community is supposed to do. So for our sake this morning, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm not going to go through the books of the Bible again because I'm going to mess them up. And I'll look foolish up here. I'm going to go home and study them this week. 1 Corinthians is in your New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12. It's on uh, page 813 in my Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start in verses 12 through 14, all right? 12 through 14. I want you to listen to what Paul says here. Give everybody just a second to get there. This is what Paul says. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, okay, your body has many parts, you have arms, legs, but all its many parts form one body, 
so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether you're Jew or Gentile or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now let's break this down for a second. I love Paul's usage here, his imagery of the human body, to show what it means to be a part of this new community. Paul makes it very clear that we are to be in community with other members of the body of God's church. You see, for Paul, church is not just a social club. It's not just a building that we meet in. And it's certainly not an option. And unfortunately, we live in a day, man, where there is no commitment anymore. You know what I'm saying? And what's crazy is that even our secular culture notices this. Several years ago, Robert and I were, we were dating then, I believe, right? We were sitting on the couch watching TV because that's what couples do when they're dating is they sit on the couch and watch TV. And I'll never forget, we were watching this, this show and this commercial popped up. And I don't know if you guys remember several years ago, the Hyundai, uh, the car Hyundai, they came out with this campaign. And the campaign, the campaign was talking about commitment. You guys remember that? Uh, one commercial in particular that I loved, it was a commercial that we saw, the very first Hyundai commercial I ever saw, and uh, this is what the guy comes on, he says, whatever happened to commitment? So, you know, it kind of caught my attention. He says, uh, you don't like your wife? Get a new one. Don't like your, don't like, don't like the way you look? Change your looks, get a new look. And he just kind of went through all these different scenarios. And I, I remember, what did I say to you, Rob? And I said, I said, I love that commercial. That's awesome. I said, this is exact. And what did I say? And I said, man, my next car is going to be a what? You guys can go out here in the parking lot. And I'm driving a Hyundai Sonata. All right? For that very, for that very reason, I'm driving a Hyundai Sonata. I kid you not. There's just not any commitment. I mean, we live in a day of church hoppers and church shoppers and where people just, you know, come in and out, and it's like, if I don't like this, and I'm going to go here, and if I don't like that, I'm going to go here. And There's no commitment to the local body of Christ anymore. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote, and he wrote this essay, and he's talking about this idea of membership, and he's reminding us that the word membership is of Christian origin. See, it's been taken over by the world, empty of all its original meaning. Today, most people associate the term membership with paying dues or meaningless rituals and silly rules and secret handshakes and having your name on a, on a dusty roll, you know what I mean? But being a part of a community did not refer to some cold induction into an institution, but rather it meant becoming a vital organ of a living body. For Paul, the body of Christ is not just a metaphor or a helpful word picture, but it it points to the reality that Jesus dwells among his people and that Jesus is our life source. The beauty of the church is, is its unity through its diversity. That's what Paul was saying. See, race doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter uh, what your gender is. If you're male or female, it doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter if you have physical limitations or or. or or capabilities, it doesn't matter. Paul says when we come together in this new community, we are one. How are we one? We're one because of the same Holy Spirit of God lives in each of us. And that is what makes us one. Amen. Amen. This is good news, guys. This is good news. On two different occasions in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that God's Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? See, we're not just some human organization, but rather we are a divine organism united with Christ through his Holy Spirit. Man, last week we talked about our new identity in Christ. 
We talked about how we are not defined by anything that the culture says about us. We're not defined by our sins, but we are defined by our new identity in Christ Jesus. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because you see, when you get this new identity in Christ, He fills you with His Holy Spirit. And He lives inside of us. When God enters our lives, we are changed from the inside out. Jesus has this conversation with the Pharisees in, the, in Matthew, and he talks about their religious, religiosity and how, they're, uh, how they look good on the outside, how they're doing everything right on the outside, but Jesus says on the inside, you're dirty. He says you clean the outside of the cup, but your inside is dirty. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, man, the Spirit wants to come inside, and he wants to clean you out. He wants to make you clean. This is good news because in the Old Testament, God's Spirit dwelled among His people on the outside of the tabernacle there. And they would come and, and they would worship God. But now, man, God dwells within us. We surrender to Christ and we are obedient through the Word and prayer and He begins to change and transform our hearts. Our love for God and the things that God loves begins to push out our love for the world. And through Jesus' redeeming work on the cross, you can be set free from all of your sin and the bondage that comes with it. Praise God. And the beautiful part is that when we live in community with each other, we're not doing it alone. Amen? Amen. In essence, because we are divine organisms, or divine organism, and God's Spirit dwells within us, we are to make Jesus visible to our community. See, when people look inside our community here, they'll see the diversity and they'll wonder, how do they do that? How can these people meet together like this and get along? How do they do that? It's because we are one. It's because we have the Spirit of God living in us. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see a clear picture. This is, the, again, the, the, the infancy of the church, man. This is where the church was born. And we see this. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying, get this, enjoying the favor of all people. There weren't anybody that was turned off by the church. There was nobody that was excluded because of the way they looked or because of the way they dressed or because they had 15 piercings in their, uh, or, or whatever. You know, they, they weren't excluded. They weren't excluded because they were divorced. They weren't excluded because they were widowed. They weren't excluded because they were a woman. Everybody was a, enjoyed favor of all the people. And it says the Lord added to their number. How were they able to do these things? How in all of their diversity, diversity did they show unity to the world? It's because they were led by God's Holy Spirit. And through this community, Jesus was being exalted and lifted up for everyone to see. That's the purpose, guys, is to exalt Christ so that everybody sees him. That's what God desires for this community to look like. A community filled with the Holy Spirit, exalting Christ so that Chester can see Jesus. But Paul takes this image of the body further and he explains that each member of the body plays an important role. That each member not only has a new identity and is supposed to live in a new community, but that the spirit that lives inside of us through God's grace gives us spiritual gifts. Gives us tools to make this new community work. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 4 and read through verse 11. Are you guys ready? Are you guys awake? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. This is what it says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. 
to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. First thing I want you to know is that every single follower of Jesus here is given a spiritual gift. You may not know that. You may not know what your spiritual gift is. And we have to change that. But not only do you have a spiritual gift, but we're under obligation to use that spiritual gift. Do you realize that? We are to be stewards of the gift that God has given us. There are examples of God's Spirit empowering people in the Old Testament for specific purpose as well. For instance, in Exodus, Moses is given a special instruction on building the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell. You can read that in Exodus chapter 35, verses 30-35, where God's Spirit is given to two individuals for the specific purpose of building the temple. And their job is not only to, uh, to build the temple, but to teach others to instruct others. And so God's Spirit dwells in them and empowers them to be able to do this specific job. He enhances their abilities. God's Spirit gave them that ability. We see God's Spirit empowering prophets throughout the Old Testament in order to proclaim God's message. And you need to write this passage down. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Write that down for me. I want you to go home and I want you to read this. This is, this is an amazing passage. I love what Peter says here. He's talking about this same concept that Paul is talking about. And he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a community, to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Church, this is, this is good news. I mean, we just keep, keep hearing good news. This is good news. Because of your new identity and God, he has empowered you through the Holy Spirit to do ministry. You don't have to sit in your seats and wait for people to do things. He has empowered you to do them. In the Old Testament, man, the priest was the only one that could enter the Holy of Holies. He was the only one that could make the sacrifice. But when Christ died on the cross, you remember what happened? The, t the, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies. Remember what it did? What did it do? It ripped. It tore. You know what that symbolized? What Peter says right here, we are all a royal priesthood, a community of believers that is empowered to do ministry. It makes me want to cry. I might, I might tear up here. That, that's what it does. Paul gives four lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Now, under your seat, I have giving you a copy. I don't want you to pull it out yet. I was debating on when to say this because I know what's going to happen. You guys are going to pull it out and you guys are going to like read it and not pay attention to me. All right? Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. All right, so don't pull it out yet. Don't pull it out yet. But Paul gives four lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. I don't believe that these lists are exhaustive lists. And I also believe that God can take your natural-born talent and your natural-born ability. And when you surrender your life to Christ, He can take that natural-born talent and ability and He can enhance it for you to use to glorify Him. All right? I believe that. For example, singing. It's not listed as a spiritual gift, but I believe singing is a spiritual gift. And when we surrender our life to Christ, He can enhance that gift and use it to glorify Him. I remember uh, I, I never played a guitar growing up, and, and I was about 19 or 20, and God was working on me, and I was beginning to kind of come back to the church and become back to the community thing, because I had kind of stepped away for, for a brief moment. And, uh, and I, I remember I was starting to get involved with the children's ministry, and I said, God, I want to learn how to play guitar. I said, this is my prayer. I promise you, I pray. I said, God, if you will help me to learn guitar, I promise you I will use it to do ministry. You know what happened? I picked up a guitar, 
and I had this lady in our church write down chords for me. Three basic chords, G, whatever, G, C, D. And I just took them home, and I practiced them every single day. And it wasn't two or three months later, man, I was sitting in front of children's worship, and I was leading those kids in worship. That's a spirit, to me, that's a spiritual gift. God took that, and he, and he made that happen because I wanted to use it. How about building things? Some of you guys are, are good at building things. I'm not. Maybe that's, that's your talent. Maybe that's your gift. And so when you use that for God's glory, he can enhance that. You know what I'm saying? You know, VBS, you know, Lynette's always needing people to build things for her. Or, uh, or whatever the case may be, fixing things around the church, whatever, whatever it may be. Some of you are mechanically inclined. Some of you uh, are good on the computer, you know, and you can work things on the computer like magic. And some of you are good with numbers. And I tell you, man, Mary, Mary back here, I'm going to give her props. I, I didn't ask her. But I'm sorry if you guys are mad at me for doing this, but... She comes in and she volunteers her time here at the office, man, and she is good with numbers. And uh, she does a fantastic job. And, and she's using God's gift for the church. See, the purpose in the New Testament for spiritual gifts is first and foremost to glorify God. God always gets the credit no matter what. But they're also to build up the church, to build up this community of believers, to encourage and to serve one another as well as equip people for ministry. They help people grow to maturity in Christ. The scripture that we read this morning in Ephesians, that's what, that's what Paul is talking about. We are growing in every way more and more in liking Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Just as your physical body functions as a whole with all its parts under the central coordination of the head, so, so the church, Christ's body, functions underneath Christ, the head. See, there's a danger in all of this because we still live in the flesh and we still have a sinful nature. And sometimes we can get caught up in, every, every, uh, in envying another part of the body. We allow ourselves to be distracted with worldly emotions like envy and jealousy. And instead of being content with the gifts that we've been given or even trying to figure out what God has given us to use them, we allow Satan to distract us. And when he successfully distracts us, our true intended purpose, our body part, stops functioning and the whole body suffers. See, Paul deals with this very issue in Corinthians. You know, that's why he's writing this to the Corinthian church. And see, there were people that were bragging because they had a specific gift that others didn't. They were going around flaunting what they had. They were saying, I'm a hand, ha, 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 and you're just a finger. You know, or they were saying, I can speak in tongues and you can't, ha, ha. They were showboating. They were showboating. Paul squashes this. Listen to what he says here. It's, it's 1 Corinthians. I believe it's starting in verse 13, 14 there. He says, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear. Where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. They were all one part. Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then he goes on to say, you know, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And, and so he kind of goes on to this long discourse here about this. And what I want you to know this morning is that in the economy of God, Every single person, listen to me, in the economy of God, every single person is important. Every one of you. Every one of you. And I want you to know that this morning. We need to be content and accept the gifts that God has given us. He gives them to us for a reason and for a purpose. He has specifically selected these special gifts for each one of us. And I love one of Jude's favorite songs that we listen to about 10 million times when we're in the car. Uh, is, goes, I'm going to try it. He goes, I'm different, I'm different, 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 different. Nobody's like me. Is that right? Where did Robin go? She's gone. She's up there worshiping. I think that's how it goes. 
But it's the same in a church. We all serve the purpose. Everybody's different. We're all different. We all have diversity, but we're all a part of the body. And God created us unique. Are you serving your purpose today, or are you just a spectator? By using your gift, you're contributing to the well-being of the rest of the body. Some people think or are just, are just content to come to church week in and week out and just be a spectator. You like the nice cushy seats, so you're content to just sit there. You, you, may, be turning, uh, you may be tuning me out right now thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not on the worship team, so I'm not a part of the body, or I'm not uh, up here preaching, so I'm not a part of the body, or I'm not back there in the audio visuals, and so I'm not a part of the body, or I'm, you know, I'm not back there teaching children, and so I'm not really a part of the body. You, know, you may be saying, well, I'm not a hand or an eye, or, so I don't belong. And that's a lie that you're allowing yourself to believe. See, if one part of the body is not performing, it affects the rest of the body. I've been fortunate to have only broken one thing in my whole entire life, and that was my thumb in uh, football. And you would never have guessed how important a thumb is until you can't use it. I'll never forget that, man. I remember thinking, this is crazy. I mean, I was tying my shoes with my fingers, and I was, yeah, I'm right-handed. It was my right thumb, and so I, it was just crazy. I'm holding my spoon between these fingers, and I'm making a mess, and it was just difficult. And you're like, man, you don't realize how important a thumb is until you don't have it. See, if one person is not utilizing their gift to benefit the whole church, it makes the other members of the body work twice as hard and be less effective. Now, I was trying to think how I could illustrate this with you guys, and you guys may have noticed I got this Jenga thing up here. Thank you, Morris family, for supplying the Jenga this morning. And I want you to think about this as being the body of Christ. And each person plays an important role, okay? But if you start to believe that you're not important because you don't have a specific role, then what happens is, and you don't do it, then you take out, okay? That puts a little bit more stress on this part of the body. So somebody else says the same thing, and so they, they take out a part. Somebody says, you know what, I'm not, I'm not a foot, so I'm going to not do anything, and then somebody else says, you know what, I'm, I'm not a leg, so I'm not going to do anything. Somebody else says, well, you know what, I like just coming to church and being a spectator. I'm going to sit there and listen, and somebody says, well, I'm not going to do anything, and it just keeps going. People are just come, sitting, observing, and then before long, what ends up happening you got all these holes, you got people that are working twice as hard trying to fill these holes, and that's not the way God intended it for it to be, and then eventually what ends up happening is it doesn't work. And, and so what are we showing to the rest of the community? You know, what, what are we doing to build up the body of Christ? What are we doing if we're not doing our part? See, God did not give us a new identity to sideline us. You know, when I, when I played football, I can tell you right now, I did not go through three weeks of two-a-days in the heat of August to sit on the sidelines. It's not like I went through all this stuff and I said, Coach, I want to just sit on the bench. You know what I'm saying? I didn't do that. He gives us a new identity so that we can contribute towards this new community. And maybe you just don't know what your gift is. I have a handout. Now's the time to get the handout. Go ahead and reach under your chair and get the handout. And uh, I have searched high and low. I, I've been working on this. Man, I've been studying this for, for several months. Me and Neil, or Neil and I have been talking about this for several months. And, and I've uh, listed the resources on the back. I got this from uh, Mark Driscoll as well as Jack Cottrell. And uh, so this is where these resources came from. But you'll see the list of spiritual gifts. Again, remember I said I don't think this is an exhaustive list, okay? But what I want you to do is I've never been a big fan of the spiritual assessment test because I took one of those when I was like 20, and uh, you can skew those things. You can make whatever you want there. And so what I did is uh, provided with you just throughout the gifts, a list of the gifts uh, with a little bit of description there, and then it says, do you have this gift? 
And so you can kind of take that with you. And, and here's the homework. Here's the challenge for you guys to, to, to pray over this, all right, to read through these things and ask yourself, man, what has God given me? What spiritual gift? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people will say, well, um, you know, just pray about it. And I don't want you to pray about it. But also a great way to figure out what your spiritual gift is is to do something. And if, it's, if you're not digging it, then guess what? It's probably not your spiritual gift, so try something else. All right, so it's kind of the process of elimination, right? And let me, let me say this, too. Uh, your gift may be teaching, but it may be different than what Neil's gift is. Neil, Neil's gift is teaching, and he could teach in front of a large group like this. Your gift may be teaching, but it may be teaching in front of six or seven people, like a small group leader. Or your gift may be teaching, but you may feel more comfortable in a setting of children. Try that out. All right, I want to encourage you to read through that. And I want to clarify a couple of things because uh, growing up in my church, man, you didn't use certain terms. And, and I like what Mark Driscoll does here. He uses the word apostleship, and he breaks it down for us, big A, little a. Now let me just clarify to you that there are no big A apostles today. The requirement to be an apostle for Jesus was, Acts chapter 1, you had to be with Christ in his ministry, and you had to witness his resurrection. I don't think we qualify for that gift, unless somebody here is just really, really old, and you disguise it. But he says there is a little a, a little a apostle, okay? And I like that, and I don't have a problem with using that word. But that, that basically means that you can, uh, we use that term like missionary today, somebody that can minister cross-culturally, right? somebody who is a church planter, somebody that goes out and plants a church. All right. So I like how he breaks these things down in here. So take these home, and I want you to pray over these things and, uh, and ask God, where, where, where is my spiritual gift? All right. If you need help identifying your gift, talk to me, and I will help you. You can email me, and we can make that happen. Next Sunday, I'm uh, meeting with all of our small group leaders, and guess what they're getting? They're getting this, and I'm going to have them praying over their small groups and asking in their small groups what their spiritual gift is. Now, I also got one other thing for you today, and uh, I'm going to have a couple guys pass these out uh, at the end of service, okay? But basically what we've put together is Chester Christian Church service opportunities. And inside, you'll see, man, all the opportunities that you have to serve here at Chester Christian Church to implement your spiritual gift so that the whole body works together, okay? And we have all kinds of areas for you to serve. We have easy opportunities to serve, and then we have some more uh, opportunities that are a little bit more difficult, maybe a little more time consuming, but that's all right. Okay, so I want you to take this with you uh, along with your spiritual gifts thing and pray over these things. On the back side, there are service opportunities outside the community. We've got AIT movie night, uh, newborns in need, the detention center, uh, Epiphany, mentoring, Shady Hill. We've got all these opportunities. So if you want more uh, information, this past week, man, Daniel and I uh, took some food up to the homeless camp behind Target, and uh, that was a cool experience, wasn't it? And uh, although they were, nobody was there, we just left it. We ate a little bit, and then, no, just kidding, we didn't. We didn't do that. But we, uh, we took some food up there, and so there's opportunities for you to serve outside of this body as well, in the community. All right, so I want you guys to take this and that, take one per family, and uh, same way with the uh, spiritual gifts test, one, one per family. And I uh, take these home, and I want you to pray over these things, and I want you to ask God to reveal to you what your spiritual gift is. Pray, just get involved, start serving, all right, so that we all can contribute to the body. I thought it would be fitting for us to take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, as a community. So I'm going to ask the guys to go ahead and uh, go ahead and get the, the, the communion ready. And what I want you to do is when they pass out the, the uh, plate and, and the juice, take the bread and take the cup, and I want you to just hold it in your hand, all right? And I'm going to pray, and uh, together we're going to take the bread, and together we're going to take the juice, all right? And just think about what Christ did for us that he is our life source, that he is head of the church, and um, that he sacrificed himself so that we could live.
and new community. All right, let me uh, let me steal a piece of bread here. taken our communion together as a community we're going to sing a, a, a song and it's a response song and, and I just want to encourage you that, uh, that if you've never uh, surrendered your life Chris Tomlin has a cool song out now he says uh, we raise our white flag we surrender I don't know if you've heard it on the radio I love that song and if you've never, if you've never raised your white flag to Jesus and say I surrender uh, then you can do that today uh, you can have a new identity in Christ today Right, you can um, give your life to Christ and repent of your sins and confess Him as Lord, and, and we can baptize you today in Christ. All right? If, uh, if you are sitting here and maybe the Spirit has convicted you through the Word and maybe you're like, you know what, God, I've, I've sit on the sidelines for too long. I, uh, I need to get in the game. I need to figure out what my spiritual gift is, and you just want to come up to the cross and Ask God to forgive you and you repent of that. Man, I want to encourage you, don't, don't be afraid of what people around you are going to think. Uh, just get up and do it because they're sinners just like you are. All right? If you need prayer for anything, man, we are here, down here. We would love to pray with you. So uh, after we take communion together as a, as a community, then I want to encourage you as we sing the next song to respond in some way. All right? So let's pray and thank God for the sacrifice that we can take this together as one body, as one community. So let's do that. God, we come before you today and we just thank you. We thank you for all that you do. And, and Father, sometimes it's just painful whenever we are made aware of just how sinful we are. God, and in those moments, I just, I can't help but just worship you and thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, this morning as we gather together as one body, as a new community, around your table, Father, as we take the bread together, as we take the juice together, and as we remember your sacrifice on the cross, Father, we just thank you. Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you for this community. I thank you that you created us for this. God, may you receive all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you guys will take the bread, take the juice.